Welcome back, fellow Jazz Bums. Today we have a special episode and a special guest here. We have Mike Notes and Tones joining us. Thank you, Mike, for jumping on to walk through this video with us. No problem. So, um, all right. So this episode, we're going to focus on the Village Vanguard. Uh, this is something that a lot of people, you know, we all have different recordings from there. We thought it'd be a cool idea to dive in and see you know, what recordings were there and just talk about the history of, of the place itself. When we jumped into this, we realized that there are over 100 recordings. So it was already overwhelming. We've been kind of working through our list, what we have, what we want to go over, um, and we'll break it all down. So we'll start with kind of the history of it. Then we'll get into some of the details and some of the recordings. All right. So uh, we are now going to jump into some of the background of the Village Vanguard. So Geographically, it's located in Greenwich Village, New York, um, and it was opened in 1935 by Max Gordon. Um, and he, I think, immigrated from Belarus, and he was, I think, he he lived in Portland, if I'm not mistaken, um, and then and then moved to New York. Is that correct, Felipe? Yeah, that's it, Mike. Okay, all right. And then when he passed away, Lorraine Gordon um, took over, and then now the proprietor is their daughter. So it's been in one family since it's opened up. Um, and yeah, so uh, with that, I think we can talk about the room itself. Um, so Mike, do you want to kind of uh, jump in and describe kind of the, the, the setup of the actual um, space itself? Sure. Uh, you know, the first thing, you know, um, just when you come in the Vanguard, when you enter the Vanguard, you are going downstairs into a basement. Um, so you go down the steps, you, you enter into the Vanguard, um, the stage, as soon as you enter, you can see the stage, as soon as you enter, it's um, at the front um, of the club, and then all the seating is, um, you have the stage, and then you have all the seating um, going back from the stage, and then you also have seating on the side. And that's um, elevated, right? The side, don't you? Yeah, step it's slightly it. elevated. It's on the side where the musicians come walk up to get to the bandstand. Usually they, they take that route. And um, even though I've seen a couple in the past walk through the crowd, the walls are covered with like it's sort of like a green like felt. It looks like sort of like material you would cover a, a pool table with. Hmm. And the club has photo numerous photographs of basically all the musicians that have played there. Um, you know, you have your Col Coltrane, you have all of the all of the Jones brothers, Ben, oh. Elvin, and oh, Hank, <laughs> and you know Tommy Flanagan, Bill Evans. The, they're all all the greats that have played there, and you know some of the um, more recent musicians, I believe Roy Hargrove, um, uh, maybe up there, and so the and the so like I said, the seating is all in, in front of the stage, and it goes all the way back. And the club, the club, um, and the best way I could describe it, it's sort of from the band. It's sort of like megaphone shaped where um, it gets wider from the bandstand um, going out. Yeah. 
and you know they have a bar area and they're seating at the bar and seating in back you know they do now they have they have a pa system and amplification and i think being in a in a basement and the fact you know that how the club is situated and the design where the bandstand is placed mm-hmm. that helps in the projection of the sound mm-hmm. um, and, and it's just by happenstance I, you know it's not like you know they brought people in there and said okay we're going to design this club this way so the question is this place is almost 100 years old it's right. when you, i mean i've never been there so just like going to any museum or an important place or a historical place Does it feel like, oh, my gosh, this is 100 years old? I feel like I'm there? Or it feel like it has changed through the years? It feels like just going to any other joint. Oh, definitely. It doesn't feel like going to any other club. You get you get the sense of the history, you know, as soon as you walk in the place. Like I said, you have all these photographs up there. And, you and you know, you, you, you know, it's known who played there. So before you even go and step in the club, you know it's it's the Village Vanguard. Yeah, you know, you, you know Coltrane has played here. Um, yeah, you, you you know all you know. Bill Evans has played here, so you, you you already have a sense of the history, and just going in there, very dark, and when the music starts, it gets darker because they, they even turn off you know whatever lights are turn um, are on or even dimmed further. Mm-hmm. So you, you get this. You I guess you get a sense of being in a. I guess an older club, an older style club that, you know, you go to a club today, you know, it's, it's going to be somewhat better lit, but you, you also have that history on the wall, all those photographs that you're surrounded by. Them. Um, and, you know, a lot of, I've gone to other clubs and, you know, they don't have that, history on the wall they may have a few photographs here and there but not like at the vanguard Mm -hmm. you know you know when you sit down and just take a look around you know who's played there yeah and i will i will say mike has taken me there once and uh being a jazz fan like seeing those pictures like i just started walking around the club just to look at them i mean it was so cool to see you know everybody's picture up there so it was it was cool Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I haven't been there either, but it, to me, it represents something that doesn't really exist anymore for the most part. I mean, you know, New York City has other clubs and stuff, but most places don't. Yeah. Right? They used to, or there's jazz, club, jazz clubs everywhere. Um, like we, here in, in Fort Worth and Dallas, we have a couple of little tiny ones that are, you know, have been around for the last 10 years or whatever. It just, it represents a bygone era to me. I mean, I've never been there, but that's, you know, kind of what the place represents, just thinking about it to me. And, you know, it is, it is a, you know, a, a long surviving club. And that area of the village is on 7th Avenue South. When I first started going to the Vanguard, right down the street was another club that I used to go to a lot um, called Sweet Basil. Hmm. Sweet mm-hmm. Basil's been gone for years. Mm-hmm. It's been gone for years. Um, some of the great places to see jazz have they in, in new york have all gone by the wayside but the vanguard remains standing yeah um, there's another club that i used to go to a lot um the building is still there it's on university place it's called bradley's 
I got some great recordings from Bradley's, some great memories from Bradley's. But Bradley's is, you know, that shut down in the 90s. Yeah. And here we are. Is there any other uh, New York club that compares to the longevity of the Vanguard? No. I No. Mm. I, nope. Yeah. I mean, is there any place that's been open since the 60s besides the Vanguard even? In the 50s, 60s, 70s even? You know what I mean? Like, are there any other legacy clubs there? It officially opened in 35, but I don't think they were playing jazz. Uh, I think it was um, a while before they got jazz. Off the the top of my head, I really, I cannot think of one. You know, all those clubs that have gone that, you know, that symbolized that era when the Vanguard started, the Village Gate is no longer longer there. It's a CDS now. Um, these clubs are gone. I mean, even recently a club opened called Cafe Bohemia. Like the old one? Yeah. And, you know, I saw a notice on their social media that they're closing. So, I mean, it's unique then. I mean, there's probably other places in the world that are still open that have been open for a long time. But when you think of classic, you know, jazz clubs that we have recordings from, it's pretty much un- unique. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Small paradise. You have all these recordings. Yeah. yeah. Definitely unique. Yeah. And one of the other places you think of, Birdland's obviously gone. Yeah, Birdland's, it, Birdland's a weird situation. Okay. Um, you know, the original Birdland, the current Birdland is not in the place that the original Birdland is. And then, but it's in the same area, you know, the Times Square area. Because the original Birdland, wasn't that up in Harlem? No, no. See, the Birdland that existed in the, uh, in the, I guess you say, what, 90s was further uptown in the 100s. Okay. But the Birdland where, you know, um, Miles Davis got, you know, got assaulted by the cop. Mm-hmm. That was that was mid, the Midtown area, but yeah. then that then that that it closed. Then they reopened. I guess I want to say the eighties, but that was further you know, Upper West Side, and then they relocated again back into the Times Square area where it is now. Mm-hmm. Okay. But, okay, yeah, no, no long. You know, the Vanguard's probably got the the longest sustained run of any right. jazz club in New York. Yeah. Well, that's why I love when people say, like, when I watch documentaries of musicians talking about the Vanguard, they talk about going down those steps and who went down those steps mm-hmm. before them. Because, you know, everybody that was the only, you know, that was that was the entrance that everybody used. And it's, you know, it, it housed all of the greats. Um, mm-hmm. They've all played there. So it, it is kind of an incredible legacy. Oh, yeah. I did want to push us on and talk about. So. uh the Vanguard obviously has 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 dates. Um, they they um, book people to play sets um, for for a week. And I just wanted to ask if uh, Mike, if you could kind of talk us through um, kind of the calendar, the schedule, and some of the the key artists that come in regularly um, in kind of today's Vanguard. Mm-hmm. Sure. I mean, you, the thing about the Vanguard, you you got to realize that there are you know, 52 weeks in a year, they play 
most of the musicians that play there, they play a week starting on Tuesday, Tuesday through Sunday. Mondays are reserved for the what is now called the Vanguard Orchestra, which before that, it, well, it started off as the Mel Lewis Thad Jones Orchestra. And then when Thad Jones left, it became the Mel Lewis Orchestra. And, and a lot of great musicians have played in that uh, in the van, what is now the Vanguard Orchestra. Um, Joe Lovano is the one that comes off the top of my head. Um, but there are just so many. Rich Rich Perry, a saxophone player, um, just a, a number of um, great musicians. But the Vanguard, like it's fifty, you know, you have fifty-two weeks in a year. There are people that have, you know, basically play there every year. They have a dedicated week or two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, the first. Um, the pr- first person I think of, because I used to try to go to his show every year. I've only missed one year, and I don't know, in the last maybe eight or so. And that's Jason Moran. Um, and um, so Jason Moran plays the Vanguard Thanksgiving week every year. And so that's, this is, a, yeah. This is the, I think, 2017 performance. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so this is fantastic. Um, this is, I think, I think they put uh, two or three of these records out at the Vanguard. This one I got directly from his website. Um, it's Yes Records. You can order this. I think there's limited pressing, so um, but I think they're still available. Yeah, and, they're still available. And yeah, I mean, it's it's fantastic. So, um, some notes here. So. They really so they play it on 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 side. I think it's it's either B or D. Um, it's a double LP. They play Thelonious, and the bass player really stretches out in the beginning. It's 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 fantastic. They're all they're all like outstanding on this. It, it's kind of exceptionally good. Um, so you know, uh, Jackie Byard was also um, Jason Moran's one of Jason Moran's mentors. So he has a song called. For Jackie, and that's fantastic. He also addresses the crowd, um, and he talks about how his set is becoming a New York tradition, and how you know kids that are coming out to to watch his his set now talk about it when they were thirteen. They saw him for the first time; their parents brought him, so it, that was kind of cool. And then he plays gangsterism at the Vanguard. So on his records, he plays a gangsterism song all the time, and it, it's different every time. But this is it. It, it all, it's basically like a, I don't know, a 12 minute song and it starts like traditional, whatever. And then it just gets, they just play all different styles. They just go everywhere. So it's, it's that's a really killer track too. So this is an awesome record. Um, and so. that is his second re- recording um, live at the Vanguard. His first one is called Bandwagon. Um, yeah. and, that, and that is an excellent recording also. Um, that's only available on CD. I have a CD of that, but that's an excellent recording. And I'm sure in the future he'll do another um, live at the Vanguard um, recording. But um, also, after Jason Moran, Christian McBride plays there. Hmm. Um, and he's played there, I don't know how many years, but it's been quite um, it's been a few years. But Christian McBride plays two weeks at the Vanguard. In two different bands. 
And um, there is, let me show. He released a live um, recording not too long ago. And Inside, that's what his band, Inside Straight. And, um, and there. Perfect. So it's a quintet? Yeah, it's, yeah. Christian McBride on bass, Steve Wilson, alto and soprano, Warren Wolf on vibes, um, Peter Martin on piano, Carl Allen on drums. Um, if you watch YouTube and it's a, there's a show on musicians, um, it's called Open Studio, and one of the guy, Peter Martin, the pianist, is one of um, the, the hosts uh, on there. Um, and he played with, you know, not only with Christian McBride, but a who's who of musicians. So, and um, so Christian McBride does two, uh, two weeks with two different bands. And so if that, if that's the quintet, because you said the other week is a trio, is that right? No, no, so, not 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 with Christian McBride. Okay. I mean, it, it may vary. Maybe in the past it's been a trio. But he has another band that he's been playing with recently, and then they they, they played last time after Inside Straight, um, and I think that's a pianoless quartet. Mm. Um, that mm. it's his new Jean band, spelled oh, right. yeah. A A W N. That's um, a they, yeah, yep. And then also Kenny Barron you know, plays there annually. And I believe he has two weeks also. And he'll do a trio a week. And then he'll do a week with a larger group. Um, I saw them um, with the larger group. It's Kenny Barron, um, Emmanuel Wilkins on alto. Oh, wow. Um, and Jonathan Blake on drums. And I'm... I'm Blanking it off at the rest, but um, that was an, ex an excellent show. Uh, but, you know, so you have those dates that are sort of set aside for those musicians, and then there are other musicians that play uh, regularly there. Like um, I'm going to show this this, and this is a beautifully recorded CD right here. Um, Fred Hirsch, piano uh, pianist. And um, he plays there quite regularly. And the drummer on this recording is also the drummer on the Jason Moran recording, the Sheet Waits. Oh, so, right. That's pretty cool. There's, um, well, you know, there the club. this is a beautiful sounding recording. Um, so Fred Hirsch plays there consistently, Joe Lovano. Um, plays there practically uh, a week every year. Um, you know, when Paul Motion was alive, um, he played there, um, I would say, at least um, twice a year. Or maybe he played two, two weeks straight. But Paul yeah. Motion played there um, consistently. He has a, he, I, when we were looking at a number of recordings by artists, he was one of the most recorded at the Vanishing yeah, and this is one of the Paul uh, Motion Trio with um, Bill Frizzell and um, and Joe Lovano, 
and this this is on a, a German label, and then there's another one on that same label. And I had listened to this again the other night, which is um, fabulous, and it's you know the Paul Motion Trio, um, right out of my heart, and. Yeah. It is. This is it's a beautiful recording. You can, you can. I don't know if you can see my promotional um, purposes only CD stamp on yeah. there. Well, one, one thing about Paul Motion is, I mean, the thing is, like in '61, he he recorded "Waltz for Debbie" and um, and "Sunday at the Village Vanguard," right? And what you're saying is, is that he continued to play the Vanguard all the time. I mean, this yeah. is a landmark recording. Obviously, Scott LaFaro um, died tragically. But, you know, the thing is, is like in 61, he was playing there with Bill Evans and then he continues to just have a relationship with that club. And I yeah. think, um, you know, it's kind of neat to think about it, you know, that this is the origins of when he started there. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think it's 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 uh, interesting to see the origins of, you know, Paul Motion um, with uh, the Bill Evans trio. So I'll just quickly show these. These are two very famous Village Vanguard sessions, and they're both coming out as OJCs. Um, uh, so they should sound great. Um, and then there was also the 45 box set that I think is still available of the, the Riverside recordings. But um, but yeah, so Paul Motion. I mean, those got to be the most famous recordings from the Vanguard, right? Yeah. Probably, uh, yeah. Um, the there's one or two that might rival it. Yeah, and then you you know you have the I guess you'd have the first live recording at the Vanguard, um, the what we know to be the first live recording at the Vanguard, which is the Sonny Rollins. That's the Sonny Rollins. That, yeah, 1581. I think it's a 50, 57, 58 recording. Oh wow! So it's the first one we know of. That's cool. Yeah. So Sonny Rollins, Wilbur Elvin Jones, Donald Bailey, bass, and Peter Walker drums. So there's uh, two different sessions, each band on a different side, side right? Uh, Donald Bailey and Peter Rock on one side, Wilbur Ware and Elvin Jones on the other side. This is actually the repress, because uh, it's, it's a New York label. Nice. It's, it's a 60s label, yeah, but uh, it's Van Gelder. It's just not um, plastic lights. What year is that again? So that's, that's recorded 1957 at the Vanguard. And I think I've heard stories of Alfred Lyon and Rudy like setting up the recording equipment like next, like in the Vanguard and like, you know, basically recording to tape, um, yeah. you know, in, in, the, in the audience. I think that's the case. I, yeah, I don't I, I don't know the, the exact history there, but if anybody does know that, um, please, you know, leave a comment or something. Whatever it is, it was really good because this record sounds amazing. Yeah. Sounds better than many other uh, that came later. And then and another early recording that I have is this, this Jerry Mulligan. Um, oh, nice. Um, um, large band at the Vanguard, um, which is um, really good. Um, and I can't recall off the top of my head the, the exact year, but this is an, an excellent one. And you can find copies of these, you know, um, next to what is, he playing, what is he playing there, Mike? Huh? What is he playing there? Um, he, well, it's a, it's a, um, it's a large um, band. Okay, it has. He's playing baritone, 
actually she's even playing a little piano. Um, the rhythm section is Mel Lewis, Bill Crow. Then you have trumpets, um, Nick Travis, Clark Terry. Um, I'm not going to read everybody, but then, you know, trombone, you have Bob Brookmeyer. Um, and those are the guys that um, most people would know. But it's it's a basically it's, it's a big band, yeah. yeah, and that's from 1960. Some people you didn't. Um, Earl Hines also recorded at the Vanguard, and um, and I know the this one I, I'm sure you can find um, on on vinyl. Um, oh, it's wow. really good because it was done on Limelight Life originally and reissued on Verve on CD. So, and, um, you know, the good thing about the CD, it's an excellent um, the booklet. And this was done, in, this was rec um, recorded in 65. So, and there's another Earl Hines that Columbia put out in 88. I've seen that. Yeah. yeah. So, um and this has Bud, Bud Johnson on the trio with Bud Johnson on soprano and tenor. So, you know, I mean, you know, like, somebody like Earl Hines, as great as he is, you know, most people wouldn't think of him as someone that played the vanguard, I don't think. No, but, for sure. But he, he did. And, you know, and we have the recordings to show it. So, yeah. I've got one early one I wanted to show too. Um, Early-ish, I guess. So this one is Cannonball Adderley, um, you know, in New York at, at the Village Vanguard with uh, Nat and Yusef Latif. I love Cannonball's Riverside live recordings. Like I've got three or four of them; they're all great. But this one really kind of stands out. Or any of the ones that have Yusef Latif really stand out. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm trying to remember here. Um, well, there's Planet Earth. There's a Yusef Latif song on here. Another one's called Synthanesia. Synth Anthesia. <laughs> but no, this is a this is a really great recording. Um, for me, I don't know what it is. This Cannonball's live stuff just seems like so much better to me than his regular recordings on Riverside. I also like him. Like a sextet is a good size for him. Yeah, I feel yeah, like I sometimes we can get like a medium sized band, and you know, it just takes a different style then right yeah makes sense and i know um i i jumped to 65 with earl hines but you know i guess we have to go back to oh, really? 61 and talk about the coltrane um recordings oh yeah you want to yeah. show that one mike we all can show that one i guess i pulled that one i just listened to this a few days ago um and it's really grown on me um at the first the first time I picked this up, I guess a year and a half ago or so, yep. and the first time I listened to it, I liked side one better than side two, and now I like side two better than side one. So mm -hmm. uh, I feel like the more culture and I listen to, the more um, you know this uh, is palatable to me. So um, I kind of really enjoy it actually. So yeah, this is uh, live at the Village Vanguard. I think this is from sixty or sixty one. Right. Uh, so, so it's very early in Paul's career, right? So yep. was it actually released before records like Ballads or Duke Ellington? Hmm, that's a good okay, it was It was recorded in 61. Right. Yeah. Released in 62. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then um, 
Yeah, I, I have that album too, but usually you know, what I listen to most is this right here. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, because it's, it's the complete um, record, um, recordings. And it's, what is it, four, four CDs. And, you know, it has, you know, the whole, you know, the whole gig. Um, so, you know, I usually listen to this more than I listen to the, um, the vinyl. Because you know, um, just a greater variety, so I, I can pull out and you know, di- you know, different songs, different nights, um, and check it out. So, and I'm sure now you could probably get this for dirt cheap. Maybe some of those box sets are crazy. I've got this one, which is part of that, right? It's called the other Village Vanguard, uh, Village Vanguard um, tapes, I guess. Okay. I actually like this one better than the the regular album. So. What songs do they play on it? I mean, and is Farrah yeah. Sanders on it? Let me see. That's a good question. So, hang on, let take, let's see. Who is on this? John Coltrane, obviously. Eric Dolphy. Oh, right. Tucker, Jimmy That's Garrison. Right. Reggie yeah. Orkman, Alvin Jones. You would think it's going to be all the same guys on all of them, right? Right. Yeah. yeah I might mix that up. Maybe There's like Garvin Bush, Bush, Bushell. Right. Uh, Abdul Malik. Um, so okay, yeah, and this one's from November 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th, I guess, right? All over the yeah, place, yeah, that's the same, you know, same this, and yeah, it is our coffee, not not for our singers. What's mm. funny is, Mike, you brought up a funny story there. So, we, me and me and Mike and Felipe have been friends for longer than we've had the Jazz Bones channel. We used to just talk on Messenger and like listen to records together and we first got that and we listened to the first one. Like, awesome, man. We hit side two, man, and about two minutes in, Mike's like, F this, I can't listen to this. I'm side two of this record ever again. Side two? Dolphy's not even on side two. It's only train. It's He does Chasing the Train and it's the whole side. And it starts... Like I listened to it just a few days ago, and again, it starts very, you know, fine. And then it, he really does get out there on this. Like <laughs> he, he, you know, starts getting pretty crazy. So, but yeah, no, I, I definitely like side one. Right. I like side one. I, I like. I thought side two was interesting because it's all Coltrane, and he's just playing. He's like just on a crazy solo. Mm-hmm. So I, I thought that was kind of cool. It's very cool. Right. Any more early stuff? I have one here, the jazz oh, line. Cool. The Junior Mass Trio. That, that's a 61 recording, Chris. That's from 61, you're saying? Yeah. This is oh, a 64 cool. reissue, I think. Okay. So it was hard. I couldn't find much information on this particular jazz line label. There's my room. Oh, yeah. I think yeah. I have one of those somewhere. Because they have black, orange, maroon, white, whatever you, you like. So on this um, pressing, I couldn't get much information yet. There's a mono. Nice. So what's that? What, what's the music like on that? Um, so of course the trio, Junior Mans, Larry Gales, and Ben Riley. I think it's very um, it's, it's fast paced. Uh, Really uh, uplifting. Everybody's solos. The piano is very loud and and present. Um, it's, it's a very typical uh, piano trio hard bop from those days. That very, sounds cool. Yeah, nice. some, some almost like a Billy Taylor trio kind of thing, mm-hmm. at, at least to, to my perception. 
And it's a really good one. I think it's, uh, I, this one is in shrink. It was less than 20 bucks. Nice. Yeah, I've yeah. heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Jason has some cool ones. All right, I have one more. Um, this is going to be Kenny Burrell. Yeah. So this oh, is on yeah. our phone. This is Kenny Burrell, A Night at the Vanguard. And this is the original cover. You can get a cadet reissue of this with a different cover. It says like Men at Work or something. Yeah. It's the same yeah. record. You can like literally get it for like $7. So this, it, it, that's probably the way to go. And those cadet reissues sound fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, not to digress, but I have an art farmer. Uh, I think it's like Portrait of Art. I have the original pressing. That is the most beautiful cover ever. And then I, I got the cadet reissue, and that thing is sounds so much better. It's like different league. So anyway, so so uh, this is Kenny Burrell Trio. This lineup is ridiculous. It's recorded 1959 at the Village Vanguard in New York with Kenny Burrell, Richard Davis on bass, and then Roy Haynes on drums. And the first song they do is All Night Long. And if you collect Chad's reissue series, that is a track – uh, Kenny Brawl track on this one all night, you know, and also the title of the record. And it takes up, I think, the entire side A. Or <laughs> so it is not it is not as long because it's a trio because this, you can see it's a jam session. So like everybody gets opportunity to solo on it. This is only five minutes, but he's great. Uh, it doesn't, you know, at, at times his style to me um, can sound like a little old, but there are moments on this record that the band is like so tight um, and swing really hard. So this is a really, really good one. Um, definitely recommend getting it. Yeah, I love that one. I've got the cadet reissue. I like that one a lot. Okay, cool. Okay, so this one is not everybody's cup of tea for sure. I think you got to really be into it. But I love it. It's Albert Eiler uh, live at um, Greenwich Village. So it is recorded in the vanguard um and it has albert so there's a lot of cool stuff, things about this but some of the cool things is that michael sampson is on this and he plays violin hmm. so you have like the sextet with violin um you have albert eiler tenor donald eiler trumpet his brother uh, michael sampson violin bill Fowell on bass henry grimes on bass also so two bass players and then beaver harris on drums nice. and it's cool. I mean, it goes everywhere. So, you know, you know, if something's irritating you in 10 seconds, it won't be. And, you know, they do a lot of um, high energy kind of playing on this. Um, so it's a cool one. What do you think about this one, Mike? Yeah, um, I, you know, it's probably not for everyone, but I mean, I, I think it's, you know, one of the, I don't think it's, but if, if you sort of collect them, Vanguard, live at the Vanguard recordings, then you should have it. I mean, you should have it. Not only, even if you're not into Albert Eiler, I think you should have it. Um, it's it has I think, a, from my collection. I was just going to say, when I listen to it, I imagine myself in the club because I do feel like watching these musicians play you know, would probably be kind of uh, really entertaining, you know? Even if they, like you weren't too into the music, you can imagine what the performance would look like, right? Like they were, it was very much a high energy show. So I think um, thinking about that um, also makes it kind of interesting to listen to. And it's sort of, you know, an outlier to, you know, most of the 
albums recorded at the Vanguard and that, you know, Albert Eiler is associated with, you know, the avant-garde. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the majority of the, the overwhelming majority of the live at the Vanguard recordings, you know, yeah, it's more, I guess you'd say, straight straight ahead slash mainstream. Mm-hmm. Even though you you know you've had you know those guys that um, push the boundaries, I, I think the late fall motion sessions also push the boundaries. But you know, I, I would think you know most people would think that the Albert Eiler recording is sort of an outlier um, within what the majority of the live at the Vanguard recording are. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I'll give it a shot as long as Ornette's not the one playing violin. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> the Vanguard is also a place where artists can kind of return and um, start their career career again. And there's been numerous instances of people getting um, basically second uh, opportunities and it being some of the best uh of their catalog. So I think we wanted to jump into a couple artists that fit this category. Mm-hmm. So who yeah. wants to jump in? Because the Art, Art Pepper, the um, Live at the Vanguard, is um, from dates from 1977. It's like a so, if, you know, we all, uh, I think all of us, a lot of people out there know the Art Pepper um, story. Basically, you know, he had that success in, in, the, in the 50s, early 60s, but he spent most of the 1960s in, in jail and um, and rehab facilities. But in the mid-70s, he started recording again and, you know, and basically recorded up until his death. But the Vanguard, you know, it sort of symbolizes, you know, the return, even though he started recording in, in 75, mm-hmm. these sessions there, so these live sessions are just so phenomenal. Um, you know, I think it's probably a lot of people, you know, when I started listening, a lot of people, you know, started with the Art Pepper live at the Vanguard, so it's late Art Pepper. You know, they, they, it was either, it's the rhythm section and the Vanguard recordings. That's how most people I know when I started listening got into Art Pepper. You know, that wide gap. Um, that's, and these are, you know, the musicians on here are phenomenal. It's uh, Elvin Jones on drums, George Merez, who was a great bass player, um, and George Cables on piano. And George Cables was one of Art Pepper's uh, favorite pianists to play with. Um, but this is, you know, this, you know, these live dates belong in anybody's collection. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just phenomenal. Um, Art Pepper's is magnificent. Is that, you know, and he's different. His playing, at, you know, mm-hmm. is different from, you know, um, meets the rhythm section and smack up in those those sessions. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. I mean. Oh, yeah. For me, I think these three records are my favorite Village Vanguard records. I mean, I like these better than the Bill Evans records. 
They're freaking <laughs> insanely good. I mean, I can't say enough. Like, if you were going to own our Pepper Records, get these three, or just find one of them, right? <laughs> they're 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 just so killer. Um, does anybody? Do you, Mike or Felipe? Do y'all have any of those records yet? I have one of them, Chris. Okay. I have the yeah, versions of it. They're getting expensive. I've looked into uh, getting them after we did an R Pepper stream with um, Rob on his channel, and uh, yeah, they're they're you know like fifty dollar plus records. Yeah. yeah Felipe, what, is, what, what are you, what is your impression of the one you have? Um, I, I agree with you, Chris. It's like he, I think he's offering more. Um, well, although the, his fifty stuff is brilliant. It just feels like he's more mature, or perhaps all these years, you know, of, of um, hustling pretty much, just just change his perception of life, world, music. I don't know. He just sounds more mature. He, he kind of knows what, what he wants to achieve. And at the same time, he doesn't go like with a 70s sound or going out there. He just seems to be like a, a flow, an evolving of his own style, like he was doing his own thing. Regardless of the times, totally. Watching his documentary, you can you can see that there was a sense of urgency for him to do as much as he could. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He wasn't gonna blow it this time, and you know, at least musically, yeah. you know, um, he was gonna document, you know, how how much he could play, how well he could play. Yeah, it's like it, he knew this was his last shot at you know making history. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And he went for it. There's no doubt. I mean, there's um, not to digress too much on our pepper, but there's some other live recordings of his from the same kind of era that are really good. Um, I can't remember the name of the club. Um, I don't remember. They're on Galaxy, though. But there's two or three of them mm -hmm. that are all from the same place that are, that are just dynamite. I mean, mm -hmm. he seems like he every time he played one of those gigs that got re and got recorded, maybe it was every gig, but... Mm -hmm. Like he was just playing, like that's the last thing he was gonna do on the earth that yeah. night, and then that he was just leaving it all out there. It's just yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, and you know, on on this live at the Vanguard, one of my favorite Art Pepper um, songs um, compositions, and um, it's called Las Cuevas de Mario. And I, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm sure it's not like the greatest composition or anything, but it just, it just speaks to me. I, I, you know, I even, and Art, you know, Art Pepper, you know, even, he even says, introduces the song and it, it just, it's always stayed with me from the, the day I heard it, you know, um, mm -hmm. just had that type of impact. On, on now, Mike, do you, do you have the, um, the LPs and CDs? I have the CDs. Um, I have a Japan. I have the. It's a Japanese. Um, the box. Um, yeah, contemporary. Um, gosh, when did I buy this? Um, I, I had to. I think I got. I got this in college in the late eighties, maybe. Um, but now there mean, is. A, there's a Japanese pressing called More for Less, and it's like it's like additional takes from i don't know what day it is if right and i have a i have i have that on a separate cd that was i i want to say ojc put out um hmm. I, I do have the more for less also yeah mm -hmm. and yeah if i can find the box that you now at a nice price 
Um, I'll definitely get it. And I think they also put out like a a CD box set with supposedly the complete live at the Vanguard, Village Vanguard. I'm not sure, but I'm almost, I'm almost positive they did that. So, hmm. But yeah, that was like Art Pepper's like resurgence. You know, like I said, he had spent the 60s in like San Quentin and um, and in, in drug rehab and just and since I mentioned Art Pepper and San Quentin, there's another alto player that in the 80s had a, a resurgence who spent time at San Quentin with Art Pepper and they both played in the Warden's band uh, at San Quentin and you know um, Frank Morgan. Frank mm-hmm. Morgan had um, drug problems. Um, you know he battled addiction for years. That's Frank Morgan. Mm-hmm. Is that yep. the same Frank Morgan? Yep, oh, that's, Frank, that's Frank Morgan. Um, Look at that. This is a good segue. <laughs> this is uh, Frank Morgan at the Village Vanguard. I just got this in. It's um, contemporary, which I think uh, the Art Peppers are also on contemporary, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So they're label mates as well as cellmates. There you go. Mm-hmm. Hey. And um, what was funny so, that when Frank Morgan played for a while, he said, you know, that band that he played in San Quentin, the Warden's band at San Quentin with our, um, Art Pepper, he said that it was one of the best band or the best band that he played in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he sort of walked that back, and, you know, um, once he got a, a a taste of freedom and, you know, being able to pick your bandmates and, and do your own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once he got his own band. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the interesting thing there, too, I mean, it's run up. I love that record. Mm-hmm. It's Cedar Walton and Billy Higgins. Yeah. That's all you need. Yeah. Who's the bass player on that? I've forgotten. Yeah, so hold on. It's You're talking just this one here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, Johnny Cole's trumpet. Um and hold on. So Buster Williams is, is the bass player and his bass is so like in your face on this, like it is bass forward recording, which yeah, is, so is um, it's got so this is like very relaxed feel. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 yeah, it's, uh, it's got like a cool vibe, um, yeah. which, yeah, I don't know if he's a West coast guy, but he's, yeah, yeah, he's a, um, he's a West coast guy. Um, you know, he, he he's a, a a bebop guy. He you know he came under the influence of Charlie Parker, good and bad, of course. Um, yeah. You know, but um, I I I love that was um, Frank Morgan. I saw a year after that recording, I saw Frank Morgan at the Vanguard. Okay, and he he was sort of in a way in a different way. He was sort of like Art Pepper. He, he was not going to blow this chance. Yeah, that's how it sounds. So I was just going to say, mm-hmm. he sounds like, you know, he's with a quintet, but he really sounds excellent on this. Yeah. He's kind of, he stands out, definitely. And, you know, he was, and he was, he was one of the, the nicest guys. Because when I saw him at the Vanguard, like after, after they finished, you know, I, I, I went up to him and, you know, I said a few words to him. And he he was just like so thrilled just to be there that people were kind of were coming to see him. He was playing the vanguard. He he was just really nice and just yeah. You know, I mean to everyone, and he, he was like I said he, he was going to make the most out of whatever time he had left. 
Um, and he was just one of the nicest um, musicians that I've ever come across, um, just in terms of communicating with people. That's cool. Now, Felipe, have you heard that Frank Morgan record? Not this one. Uh, I heard another one. Not this one. And you can get that. You can find that for yeah. you know, of, yeah, ten bucks. Yeah, I was just, just wondering now. Yeah. And yeah. those contemporaries, they were recorded pretty well. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just like yeah. um, what they did with Art Art Pepper, you know, they did with Frank Morgan. They put them with outstanding musicians. Yeah. Um, on all those recordings, you, you know, not only with the Vanguard, because he did, I think, two two more with the Cedar with Cedar Walton Trio that are excellent, and then he did another one with McCoy Tyner Trio. So all the contemporaries, even outside of the the Village Vanguard, are excellent. Cool. Yeah. Um, all right, I want to talk about I want to talk about my favorite yeah. comeback yeah. record. Um, period, basically. This record, oh my god, this is a top 10 jazz record for me, probably. Um, so Dexter Gordon, Homecoming. This is Dexter coming home from Europe where he'd been for, what was it, 15 years? 10, 15 years, Mike? Yeah, um, he, he recorded some stuff, but if you look at Dexter Gordon's catalog, it just kind of drops off and dies when he goes to Europe, right? Um, I mean, he came back and did Dexter Calling yeah. and some of those records, but yeah, it's I, think he still, I think he still had to do with the label because he had to come back here record something. Yeah, just and then you know all the stuff in Steeplechase and all that shit. Yeah. But anyway, this is, I'll take it back. This is my favorite Vanguard recording, not the Art Pepper stuff. I mean, <laughs> this has got Dexter Gordon, uh, obviously on tenor, Woody Shaw on trumpet and flugelhorn, uh, Ronnie Matthews on piano, um, Stafford James on bass, and then Louis Hayes on drums. Mm-hmm. And oh my god, it and, feels like the same thing, right? Like he was coming back. This was his chance to come back to the states, you know. And the story behind this is interesting. They were like Maxine, his wife was. They were kind of worried people might not show up <laughs> and play. And then it was just like sold out, crazy, you know, lines every single night. Um, yeah, and, and then some of the songs on here are just crazy, like Gingerbread Boy. Um, God, I love that song on this record. Um, Little Red's Fantasy is really good. Um, they do a really cool Round Midnight on here. Um, it's two LPs, and it's like I paid six bucks for this. And what's also interesting about that, the band is essentially Woody Shaw's group. Mm-hmm. Um, That's so right. You've, you've, yeah, you've, yeah. Got, you've got and, – and Shaw was on – I believe, he, yeah, he, 70. He was probably on Columbia at the time. I'm almost positive he was on Columbia. So it's a label mate, you know, and um, so his, his band is backing him up. And yeah, this is, this is definitely one that you need to have in your collection. And it is, it falls into that whole resurgence comeback, you know, thing. using the Vanguard as sort of that, that stage for um, a. Re, uh, a re a u.s relaunch mm-hmm. and what's the next one you want, you want to go to the joe henderson absolutely oh, yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah now the joe henderson live at the vanguard um before that i don't think joe henderson had recorded as a leader um for about four or five years um mm-hmm. and then and he was also returned to Blue Note, right? 
Yep, it was a return to Blue Notes. And this is this is the thing that I think this is the the album that sort of gradually kicks off the the latter stage of Joe Henderson's um, career. Mm-hmm. And you know, it arose it says it in the liner notes how the idea came about from Stanley Crouch saying, you know, he was there seeing Joe Henderson with a uh, quartet and what he liked uh, about it most is when the piano player laid out and then, um, you know, the trio performed. And um, so he went to, he went to, uh, I think him and Michael Cascuno went to Bruce Lundvall, the, um, the head of Blue Note, and convinced him to do this wow. um, this session. And, you know, when they did this, it wasn't, what's weird about it, it wasn't like immediately like everybody was like, oh, you know, th- this is, you know, Joe's back or anything. This sort of built, you know, it sort of gradually gained steam how great this um, these, were, these dates were. Oh, yeah. Because when Blue Note first put it out, do you have the records to show? Flippe does, right? I do. Uh, I think Mike. I, I think have I have one with you. Because uh, yeah, I have one of them. Okay, cool. And so, just to um, show the record, people may be familiar with this, but not realize what it is. But this is Joe Henderson at the Village Vanguard. This is Volume Two. Uh, there is Volume One. They're mm-hmm. set and they were put out by Tone Poet. Right. And these like are easily they're they're available. There's a bunch on Discogs for. Like starting at like 25 bucks, people really sleep on these. And I got one of these based on Mike's recommendation. And he's like, uh, like, like virtuosic, but not as a, he, he, I feel like when I think of virtuosity, I think of speed, but he leaves a lot of space, but he shows his technical yeah. skill. And it's at moments, it is just like incredible, beautiful. You know, it sounds like it's just uh, one of the best in my collection. So, yeah. It's so, that blue, that blue, Joe Henderson on, on this, you know, on that blue note, it's so different from, yeah. you know, 1960s Joe Henderson on yeah. blue note. Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, just the way, you know, the, the whole, the tone has changed, you know, he's, he's not, you know, he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't seem to be interested in being, you know, that, the, that young firebrand or whatever, he's, He's taking his time with the notes. He's leaving space. He's, you know, um, playing off of the other musicians. You know, mm-hmm. it, it just se- it seems that, you know, he's 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 not even look. He's beyond that space. He's beyond you know the sixties blue note and even you know the um, the um, the milestone stuff. It, it seems it's. Just seems to be some so much different to me. So, yeah, it sounds like he's in full control, right? Yeah, that'll be a good definition. Mm-hmm. So, what, are you, what do you think about those two records, Felipe? You have them both. Yeah, um, I started buying Tom Ports from very beginning. I, I got this when this came out, and um, I was surprised. I mean, I knew mostly some of the milestones, a lot of the the, the sixties blue notes, uh, his sessions as a leader and as a sideman. But when I listened to those, I felt like special it's it's really i think it's in, in, a, in a higher standard as mike said 
He's, he's in a great control of the band and everything. It just sounds sounds great. Sounds really good, despite being digital, whatever people might say. But um, I, I grabbed this very early Tom Ports and um, some of my favorites for sure. Yeah, and yeah. Okay. one thing I, I really like about Bill's his um, interpretation of Monk um, compositions. Oh, yeah. they're, just, they're magnificent. Um, you know, um, Boo Boo's birthday, uh, all. I, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, he just—he really—he nails it, and you know he would—he would return to Monk in his later um, sessions. I have another um, trio recording that he did in Italy, and he does um, uh, a beautiful version of "Ask, Ask Me Now," and then there's a recording. It's a McCoy Tyner recording on Chesky where he does a version of Ask Me Now and it it starts off with just this with Joe Henderson a Joe Henderson solo before everybody comes in mm-hmm. magnificent so you know this also I'm sort of launched him into you know just um, interpreting um, interpreting monk tunes on record um, yeah. now you said this was kind of a, the beginning of his later period. Did it, did the rest of his records kind of keep that same feeling? Like like you know, he, is he or did he return to like the milestone blue note sound? Much? No, he, he it, no, it, he didn't go back. Like mm-hmm. after okay, after this, he did the um, the trio. It's on Red Records um, that was recorded in Italy with Charlie Hayden on bass instead of Ron Carter. Al Foster's still on drums. Right. And then he did a studio set, another studio session with a trio. I want to say it was 89 or 90 with Al Foster again on drums. Um, and Rufus Reed? Rufus Reed on bass. And then after that, he signed the Verve. And right. did all, all those Verve things. So we did... Yeah. So it was a slow build until he signed the Verve in 1990 or 91 and did and put out Lush Life. Yeah, yeah. But, I do love that song. Yeah, um, yeah. And that has Win Marcellus on it. Yeah, it has a bunch. It's a bunch of people. And Chris, Christian McBride. Yeah, but yeah. The, the, so the Vanguard recordings were sort of that sort of kicked off, and and that. Latter stages career where it slowly gained momentum. He did three trio dates, and then that led to him being signed by Verve. And supposedly the guy, the the guy that was running Verve at the time, basically cites the Joe, Joe Henderson in trio and um, doing trio work as the impetus and him signing him to Verve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then he end, that's where he ends his career. So yeah. He, he has, it looks like there's five <laughs> studio titles on Verve. Yeah. Um, and, then, and then there's a, another um, another musician that I, I want to just sort of sort of you could say sort of a relaunch. You know, JJ Johnson had been off sort of off the scene for years. In '88, um, mm-hmm. he recorded um, some live sessions at the Vanguard that were recorded. And then, but they were released in 19, I believe 1990, 91. 
and they were recorded from, and they released both of them, and it's it's one's called I guess Quinergy, um, but it's JJ Johnson live at the Vanguard, and mm-hmm. on this one, um, he's doing basically um, sort of bop song, some of his own compositions, but the band is JJ Johnson. Stanley Cowell on piano, Rufus Reed on bass, um, uh, Ralph Moore on on saxophone, and Victor Lewis on drums. And he also did an album just of standards, Alive at the Vanguard. Um, And this was released on Antilles, which was a subsidiary of Island Records. But, you know, after this was released, then J.J. Johnson would release a series of recordings on Verve that basically took him to the, the end of his career. So, again, you know, starting starting with, you know, releasing something to, uh, just like J- Joe Henderson, two recordings at the Vanguard, um, you know, it's sort of a, a relaunch. Those are some terrible covers, though, man. Oh, they're terrible. They really are. They really are. But the music, the music is really, it's, it's so good. Um, you know, on one of them they're doing, you know, they're doing like just basically a lot of John J.J. Johnson tunes and a couple of Parker tunes and then just all, you know, um, standards. Um, and it, it's just beautiful. It's really um but you know, I don't think you know. I don't. I just think that's that's a session that you know no one talks about anymore. But when, when it came out, everyone everyone was talking about how good it was. But right. it's sort of been you know lost. I'm pretty sure the three of us didn't know it existed until just now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, kind of the last section. Do we want to talk about kind of later releases? Um, oh, just, just yeah. One thing. You know, we talk about a lot of, in, um, you know, we don't instrumentalists, but there have been some vocalists that um, have yeah. um, recorded live at the Vanguard. And, you know, the one one that I have in my collection, this um, Betty Carter. Oh, wow. And this is this is on her own label, Bet Car. And... Um, it's 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 excellent. Um, I believe they Verve did may may have reissued this when once they entered in a deal with um, Betty Carter. But this is um, really good. Live at the Vanguard. Um, and then here, this is a, a CD of Mary Stallings and. Um, She's a vocalist. She did a lot of work on, I believe, Concord on the Concord label. Mm. Um, but this is a killing, uh, a really killing set um, at the Vanguard, and it was on this label that no longer exists called Max Jazz. And um, you know, they they did like really, they did some excellent work. Um, but you know, she's been around for, um, for quite a long period of time. And then the other one that. I think um, I know. I think Felipe, you have this one too. Oh yeah. Uh, Cecile McLaurin to that. 
Um, so some uh, most of this, I believe, was recorded at the Vanguard. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, that's those, on Mac those, Avenue. Right? Yeah, yeah. Mac Avenue. Oh yeah, those, those Mac Avenue there, so impeccable. Yeah, they really are. So, yeah. what are you? What is your thoughts on this record, Felipe? Do you have a copy? Um, yeah, I like it. I mean, it's it's a very well recorded um, her composition. Some uh, I wouldn't even say standard. It's just like um, pretty pretty uh, wide variety of um, com- different compositions. It's the piano, her voice, the bass. Everything is so well recorded. It feels so intimate. Um, it's just beautiful, beautiful recording. Um, Reminds me kind of a little bit of the, the Samara Joy in a different uh, type of um, music, but this, the whole sonority, the, whole, the way the, the, the music sounds is quite similar mm-hmm. with the whole arrangement. Yeah. yeah. And she also sort of reminds me there's a little bit of Betty Carter in her, at that point in her career. Now, yeah. later, she sort of she's moved on from that influence. But she has a little bit of Betty Carter in, in, uh, in her yes. also, and how she deconstructs songs. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. So, um, so those are like the just you know, we mostly think of just you know instrumentalists, but um, there are some vocalists that have um, released live at the Vanguard recordings. We touched on a on. Some of the artists that are current regulars, we spoke a little bit about Monday night, but I don't know if, if anybody has any of the um, of the Village Vanguard Orchestra or Mel Lewis and Jones Orchestra no. records. But um, those there are Mel Lewis that Jones recorded Vanguard sessions that you can get. It's it's larger band stuff, um, you know, medium sized band, whatever. Um, and those are classic, classic records. Um, the we also spoke about the return, so how the Vanguard has been um, integral in a lot of people's resurgences. Um, we spoke about early stuff like the Sonny Rollins, but before we kind of like wrap things up, um, you know, just open form. If there's any titles that anyone wants to show, um, I know we didn't touch on on the the more current stuff, except for the Jason Moran yeah. at the Thanksgiving. But yeah. Oh, just one thing we did. You can't talk about. The, I guess current live at the Vanguard recordings without talking about um, Brad Meldow. Oh, yeah. um, because um, the Otter the Trio recordings, um, this this one, which is, I think is the first one live at the Vanguard, and then there's our Otter the Trio four back at the Vanguard. And then there's Part of the Trio, Volume Five. Oh, huh. um, so, well, now I guess they stopped calling. Now it's Trio Progression now. So they they ditched the um, art of the Vanguard title. And then this one, which is just called what is it called? I think it's just called Live. Um, and this is also recorded at the Vanguard, uh, which in, they're all excellent. They're all have you ever have you ever seen them play there? I've never, I've never seen. Um, it's called Brad Meldow Trio Live. Okay. I've never seen Brad Meldow Trio Live at the Vanguard. Um, 
I've seen Brad Meldow. Um, actually, the first time I saw Brad Meldow was at the Vanguard, and he was playing in, in a group with um, the saxophonist David Sanchez. Mm-hmm. And and what was memorable about what was memorable about it was Brad Meldow was late. Mm. <laughs> they had they started the set without him. And then he he comes down the he comes down the, the steps and then you know meanders up to the piano and and starts and starts to play. What? That was my introduction to Brad Meldow. Now I think so. As I mentioned earlier, we looked up. There were over a hundred Vanguard recordings, yeah. um, and I think there were I think there were over seventy artists. And I I don't even think we found them all. I think that was just what we could gather from from Wikipedia and Discogs. But right. I'm sure there, you could do a more thorough search and um, and cataloging of it. But uh, but that said, uh, he was one of the top recorded artists there. Um, I think he had four or five recordings. I think you have you should just showed them all. Um, and and then I think the next person was Bill Evans. He was around like six or seven recordings. Mm. And then the only person that had more was Kenny Burrell. Um, and Kenny Burrell had like seven or eight. So those were the from from what we could find. Those were the top um, recording artists uh, at the Vanguard. Right. And then just you know, in terms of you know, I guess releases because this one I'm not going to show falls under one release, but it's actually seven CDs. This is the um, the Wynton Marsalis uh, live at the mm-hmm. Vanguard, only released on on CD. But this is this is sort of like a celebration of his septet, and it goes from you know ninety through ninety four. And, you know, they have it set up where this one is supposed to be Monday night. It's sort of a fictional week at the Vanguard, you know, mm-hmm. Monday through Sunday. But, of course, Monday, it's the, the Vanguard Orchestra. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but this is excellent. And, you know, it, it's a snapshot of the sex pet. And for one of the 94 dates when they played, I actually was there. Because that's oh, wow. the end of the septet, so I went to the, um, that um, that performance that week. But so, I, so this is this is seven CDs. Well, does cool. the septet does that include Brandon? No, not Branford. No, no, Branford. Branford was doing his own thing. It's um, mm-hmm. you know, this was a, a long sort of and with a few changes. It was a long running band. Um, with Wenton. Yeah, the Wessel Anderson on alto, Victor Goings on tenor and soprano, um, this, this player, um, um, tenor player Todd Williams, Wycliffe Gordon, who plays trombone, Marcus Roberts, Eric Reed, Reginald Bill, um, Herlin Riley, who people may also know as uh, a drummer with Ahmad Jamal. Hmm. Um, oh, so, um, and that this is Winton's longtime group. You know, it, you know, a couple guys changed here and there, like the pianist Marcus Roberts and Eric Reed changed, um, and a couple of the trombone players. But you know, this was his longtime working band, 
And um, I know that last set in 94 when they were, when he was ending the septet, it was an event. It was an event. Um, So uh, that was, you know, a, he may not have the most Vanguard releases, but there are seven, you know, um, CDs and and one fell swoop, you know, he covered uh, a good period of time. Oh, there's another. I just want to talk about one other person. I, I've shown this so many times. You know, people are sick of me, but this one here, this Tommy Flanagan live at the Vanguard. Um, this is really good. But this is also the mark the return of Rudy Van, Van Gelder. Oh wow! Um, of doing live recordings, he had when he when he did this live recording, he hadn't re- done a live recording at the Vanguard for twelve years. Um, and this is a beautiful sounding record. Um, I mean, it is. It, this is where one of those where you hear, you know, sort of the background voices and people in the club. Um, so, you know, if you like that sort of thing in your live recordings, this is um, a really good one. And Tommy Flanagan would do another um, live recording at the Vanguard for Blue Note um, years later uh, in the 80s. I mean, in, in the 90s, I think. But um, you can find this for like 10, uh, you know, between 10 and 15, I think. Uh, and I, I highly recommend that. I do want to wrap it up, but I want to show one thing because there is a release this year, 2023, that you can buy right now. So this is a 2023 recording from Fred Hirsch and Esperanza Spaulding. And I'm familiar with Esperanza Spaulding because she's on that live Wayne Shorter record. That, mm-hmm. oh, right? Yeah, you just you got to give a caveat to that. Okay. She's not playing bass. Oh, okay. She's, she's singing on this Vanguard session. Yeah, I have, I have that. I didn't pull it, but oh, um, right. okay. Yeah, she's doing vocals. So. Okay. Well, still recent Vanguard session. Twenty dollars on vinyl. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? What's what's your review? Fred Hirsch is magnificent. Um, I've heard. Esperanza, the Spaldings, you know, um, as a vocalist after that, um, that date, and okay. um, she's got she's gotten much better. Okay, um, uh, she's gotten much better. Oh, can I just want to assign some stuff I might I skipped that I think is really important. Um, yeah, Joe Lovano. Um, the quartets, um, Blue Note released these um, nice. in, in the nine in the nineties, I believe. And this was this was these were like a big deal when they when they were um, when they released these because you know they were releasing you know two sets at the recorded at the Vanguard and you know um, a, a lot of publicity behind it. Um, Joe Lovano made uh, a number of great recordings on on Blue Note. I mean, he's got to have close to twenty 
recordings on Bruno. That's so cool. just, um, fabulous. And it's two different two different um, groups. This, this one is Tom Harold on um, trumpet and flugelhorn, Anthony Cox on bass, Billy Hart drums. The other one is Mogu Miller, Kristen McBride, and Lewis Nash. Um, and they're both, you know, recorded in um, in '95. Um, you know, they're excellent. This these came out in vinyl, I believe, for the. Um, Blue Note 75. So oh. you, you can find these. You can find these. Cool. And then there's another one I didn't I wanted to show. This Bobby Hutchison um, live at the, um, at the Vanguard. You know, those tables are still, uh, you go to the Vanguard right now, those are the tables you're sitting at. Nice. <laughs> so you can see how, and, the, and it's, and that's how, that's how dark it is in there. <laughs> So I just wanted to show those because I forgot. Um, don't, don't drop your keys. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay, so I think one thought is to kind of wrap it up. So it's, the club is almost 100 years old. So historically, is it probably the most important so far? And for the future, is it still going to be there? For how long is it still going to be around? Do you guys guess? I would say, yeah, historically, it, you know, I mean, it is probably the most important in terms of, you know, the history, the longevity, um, those things, you know, and like everyone doesn't, you know, everyone doesn't play there. There are great musicians that have not played the Vanguard, but there, but look at the great musicians that have played there and the Vanguard has endured where other clubs, you know, are gone, you know, they don't, you know, the Black Hawk, you know, that's in, in, in San Francisco, gone. You know, um, you name some, some of the, you know, you can name so many, you know, once great jazz clubs that are gone, but the Vanguard is, 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 is yeah, still here, still standing. And, you know, they've, you know, they've had a consistent, uh, you know, a, a consistent run. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I think yeah. it is. You know, you if you're looking for up and coming musicians, no, you you're not gonna go to. They're not gonna be at the Vanguard. It's where they many of them will get to. Mm-hmm. You know, either sidemen or um, as their own player. Like I just saw Emmanuel Wilkins at the Vanguard, but he's played there before. But this was his first date as a leader. And he has, you know, it took him, he has two albums on, on Blue Note. Right. And he just got his, you know, first date as a leader at the Vanguard. All right. Well, uh, first off, thank you, Mike, for joining and helping out the stream here. No problem. Thank you, Sam. Um, we'll link up your Instagram and YouTube uh, in the description. Um, we also started a Jazz Bum Discord. We'll uh, drop the link there, um, the invite there for anybody who wants to join. Um, it's doing pretty well. Uh, we have a, a lot of good conversation on there, so um, feel free to stop by. Um, and yeah, if you made it this far, please like and subscribe. Um, we appreciate that. So, and any final words, guys? Um, uh, let us know what your favorite Vanguard records are. Yeah, yeah. This, this is your favorite Vanguard. And if you've been to the Vanguard and which show, uh, which concert you had a chance to see, I think that'll be cool too. It's like a there. 
Yeah, and I mean, there are just so many, even, yeah, like Mike said, there's just a, a huge list. And I mean, even here, I, they're just like, I don't know, I've got probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 that I, I didn't even show. Um, just um, a lot of great performances that were actually captured, you know, that were recorded. So um, you, you'll be able to you'll take your time. You'll you'll find something that appeals to you um, in that that large list of live at the Vanguard recordings. So. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so Thank much. You Bye.